Welcome back to the Everybody Soccer Podcast. This is your host, Bill Reno. FC United's one and only Stan Anderson returns to discuss why Michigan State's men's basketball coach, Tom Izzo, is getting backlash for his coaching style and if Stan has ever done anything to that degree in his coaching career. We move on to perennial underdog Spencer Ritchie's chances at nailing down the starting job with Cincinnati after only recently becoming a starter. And finally, Stan and I reveal our top 10 collegiate goalkeepers of all time. We just did the men's after 1970. We kind of drew a hard line there of top D1 goalkeepers from then to present. If you want to skip ahead and see the results, you can go over to everybodysoccer.com later this week to see Stan and I's list. We had some similarities, but overall there wasn't too much of a crossover, which the contrast really made the two lists pretty fun. If you have a top-tier collegiate goalkeeper on the men's side that we didn't mention, again, it's after 1970, not before. Uh, too many goalkeepers, too, too different over time. We just drew a hard line there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Let's All Soccer. That's me, Bill Reno, and at Soccer underscore Coach for Stan to share your thoughts with us. Does, uh, it does need to happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Yeah, it's, I felt, I mean, I don't have any kids, but I kind of felt like a parent in that. Like, I imagine there's probably some parallel with my dad grounding me. And he, like, at the time, I'm thinking, like, oh, he's just trying to be a killjoy. But now it's like, oh, he probably didn't enjoy that, you know? They always said they didn't enjoy it, but <laughs> I uh, I guess they were they were right about it. So. Right. Well, it uh, sounds like it was the, uh, the smart decision. <laughs> well, here, give us, uh, as we kick off here, uh, you, you've got a thing called Camp Shutout. And uh, yeah. give us a little teaser on that. Um, you, it, you're, all, you're only months away from it now. Uh, what is Camp Shutout? And who is Camp Shutout for? What, what is kind of the big benefit of Camp Shutout? Awesome. Um, Camp Shutout, boy started small it's big yet i still think we're small <laughs> in the sense that we have this, you know, the same amount of training groups and what have you it's not like we've kept our staff the same um we uh we add staff as we add goalkeepers and we have the time and space so uh i think it's a player first approach it's not staff first approach um it's a player first approach where you come there to improve or get your eyes opened, compare, contrast, get a real good idea of who's out there. Uh, kids come worldwide as far as attending, so that's great. Um, 25 different states is a pretty decent average each year. Uh, so the, the, the word is out there, and that's great. There are other programs as well, but we're talking about Camp Shutout, so <laughs> Camp Shutout is, uh, is, is certainly what I am. Um, Feel very good about I, you know, we bring in great people. We have, uh, you'll think I'm, I'm taking a, a folk. We have Bill Reno who's with <laughs> us, obviously. Um, I'm a very, very good staff that you're familiar with. We have a leadership academy. Molly Grisham uh, has provided leadership uh, learning over the past few years, and this year we're actually enhancing that. We've already got 40 kids registered there. Um, you know, guys like. John Bush and Eric Water, as far as you know, people that have been kind of added as of late that are new um, this year. Omar Zini and Michael Majid of Pro GK Academy and LA GK Academy are coming to camp this year. Um, I think that Omar in particular brings a unique skill set of breaking down film, breaking down goalkeepers, obviously his ability to coach. Um, he's got a very good personality. People are drawn to him. I think he's a good educator. You know, things like that are huge. So it's a, it's a, 
you know, kind of the one of the last. Um, it's the largest in the world, but it's one of the last, you know, large residential camps. And um, it's it's you know, I think uh, a great place to to learn, if you will. So yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's my my long and short of camp shutout. <laughs> well, that last point I, from this will be my fourth summer going back, and I think the last point you talk about learning. I mean, that's, that's the big sell for me as far as a camper goes, because it seems like whether you're, you know, for, for people who don't know, you've got your, they, they split the keepers into relative groups, you know, the, the top groups, number one, and then whatever the bottom number is, that's, kind of, I don't know, the worst group sounds kind of mean, but that's essentially what it is. You know, they they got the most to learn, I guess is probably the most positive way to put it. But, it, but yeah. within those groups, you know, from top to bottom, they are all in a position to get better, to learn more, to make a step up. You know, it's not just for the elite keeper. It's not just for, you know, the rec, rec league backup. Um, right. And I think a big part of that is kind of that residential feel of they're kind of all in it together. You know, they're all on the same team. They're all competing against each other, but they all have this opportunity to kind of step up their game. You know, I, and I see it with the older ones. Yeah, like maybe they're a little bit more rounded out, but there's definitely a lot of leadership stuff that they can start incorporating it and, um, I think we we see a lot of goalkeepers now who are so quiet on the field and they don't really know how to lead, but they're good. They're good in goal. They can do all the the technique, um, you know. And so I, I just That's a big big deal for me at that yeah, point right yeah. there. I just oh man, yeah. <laughs> um, you know that it's just not it's just not acceptable to be a to be a, a, a quiet goalkeeper. Um, but you know, to some of your points that. You know, if you have a kid that you think is outperforming your group, then we move them up. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. if someone's underperforming, then we move them down. And, you know, that's that's part of life. And they're exposed to so many different coaching philosophies. And that's part of the game. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you look at you look at um, uh, situations like ours. You know, it, it's while I may use Instagram to promote or educate or put an emphasis on this or that or the other thing it's not a it's not an instagram camp uh, in the sense that you're not showing up to, to dive yeah, uh, three yeah. sessions a day yeah um you know the the, the modern game where you're 75 to 80 percent more likely to touch the ball with your boot than you are with your hands um you know that's going to be emphasized as well and not just diving in the upper 90 for you know five sessions of the week um, yeah, <laughs> there's so much more to the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and with that, you get so many. There's so many different coaches there. Like, how, how many d- different coaches staff did you have there last summer? Well, we have you know anywhere in any given year, depending if you call our college guys as well technical staff, but thirty to forty technical yeah. staff. Yeah. So you, you get so many different coaches, and um, there's so many different. You know, I remember talking to Ryan Terrero after one, and she's kind of saying how she. It, it's the details aren't super important, but she was kind of giving me her rundown of what she did. And for me as another coach, I was just like, well, that's amazing. Like I would have never thought of that. And so, um, but, you know, there's just so many different, you know, they, they can take as much as they want or they can take as little as they want, I suppose. Um, but it's all in front of them with so many different things. So uh, right. that that's a camp shutout plug. We'll, we'll, we'll transition over to the coaching section here because we we're kind of hit on as far as, um, I, you know, I know that's a big pet peeve for you as far as quiet goalkeepers. Um, yeah. But the kind of the buzz from last weekend was Tom Izzo, Michigan State basketball coach, uh, which doesn't have yeah. a whole lot to do with soccer, but he gets into a player's face, um, I think in the first half of the game 
a lot of different takes on it. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious what, you know, there's, there's reasons for it. There's reasons against it. Um, I think probably you and I would probably be in a similar ballpark, but I'm trying to think of, uh, what is kind of the real reason behind people being against that? So what, what is the driving force when people see Tom Nizzo yelling at a player? You know, what do you think is the reason why people are so uh, negative or, or I don't know if afraid is really the right word, but are so negative to uh, seeing that? Yeah, or, or you know, that they, they're against what Tom Nizzo is doing. Right, right. Um, I don't know. You know, I... I I, I have, you know, I guess some philosophies or answers that I'll, that I'll offer here, but I, I don't, it confuses me because um, there are so many different ways to lead. There are so many different ways to sell. There are so many different ways to coach. There are so many different ways to play the game. You know, it, everybody has their, their style and you, you, you either are drawn to what you think is going to help you the best as a player, as a coach, you're going to offer, you know, either what maybe you were exposed to or what you think is best. And, you know, I think some people are lost, um, you know, what they see in game day and it's so public. Um, the reality is, is there's probably worse going on. When I say worse, I, I mean more animation, things like that. Yeah, I don't mean yeah. like hitting somebody or sure. <laughs> whatever, but at training there, there's probably going to be more encounters, you know, it is maybe a better word, more, um, than there was on TV with, with Tom Zo. I, I, I really believe in some ways we've, we've gotten softer as a society. It's, it's more difficult to, to coach somebody your way. People just don't want to hear no or be told no or have to adapt um, to someone's coaching style uh tom Izzo, last i checked is an unbelievably successful basketball coach last i checked as well um they're still alive in the tournament yeah they're right? <laughs> pretty pretty highly ranked too yeah they're they're not just surviving they're they're kind of thriving there yeah and these players on the team were recruited to go there this was not the first time tom Izzo ever had a had an animated point to sure make. He didn't hit anyone. You know, he was being held back. He wasn't going to hit anyone. Sure, yeah. He was coaching that young man and coaching him hard. For me, I've got a 21-year-old son and a 15-year-old son, and I believe they're in great environments. If they were coached hard like that, I would have a conversation with my son, asking them you know, about the situation, first of all, and I'd let it be. I completely let it be. Um, and, and trust that the coach was coaching them for whatever reason. We, none of us know this. None of us know what led up to that point. Was that player, you know, what was his body language in training during the week? What has his body language been? Um, has he shown, you know, basically some level of disrespect to a coaching staff member, to somebody? And then it was coming out at that moment. There's so many different factors that go into a coaching moment that, you know, for me, I just look at it and I'm okay with it because it, he's, he's trying to help that young man. And he's not trying to tear him down in front of a worldwide audience or a nationwide audience. That's not his goal. I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident in that, that that was not his goal. So 
it, it, it befuddles me that people go against or feel against that. Brad Stevens coaches his way if we were to stay in basketball. Mourinho coaches his way, and he was, was or is, whatever term you want to use, successful, <laughs> yeah. quite successful. Yeah. Uh, Klopp uses his way, yeah. and Sir Alex used his own way. And, you know, you could go on and on. Tony DiCicco on the women's side, extremely successful, and had his way. And, you know, do we do we start getting into so many different things like, well, i got to coach women a certain way, i got to coach guys a certain way, i got to coach youngsters a certain way, i got to sure, coach older sure. a certain way. You know, and I don't know. You know, some ways there are differences there, but oh man, it just—I <laughs> thought that moment was fine for Tom Izzo. I thought it was fine for their team. Yeah. He wasn't drafted to the Michigan State uh, Spartans uh, right. in the NBA. He, he was recruited there and made the decision to join them, and that is a—that was a, a good moment for me. I thought. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny. I, I really enjoyed talking to, this is going to sound like a not related, but I'll, I'll tie it back in. But I really enjoyed talking to coaches and hearing about their track to how they became a coach because they obviously played at some level somewhere in there and they realized, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, some of them step out of the game completely for a bit, you know, go into like real estate for two years and then they'll, they'll realize they miss it. You know, they'll, they'll come back. And so um, that track is always pretty interesting. But one thing I, I've kind of noticed as far as a, a reoccurring uh, theme is that just about every coach had a bad coach at one point when they played, and they're and and, and made, and you know, it's, this is kind of anecdotal, but it, it seems like it almost made as big, if not a bigger, impact on them than the good coaches do. Now, so obviously everyone tries to emulate their favorite coach, whether they actually knew him in person or just saw him. You know, um, you know, Klopp's kind of a great example. I think a lot of people think, "Oh, I want to be like that," even though they don't know him. Um, but I. I do think there's a number of people, whether they're in coaching or not, that have been really negatively impacted by, um, you know, so-and-so. So, so I, I can think for me personally, I, I was always the type of player that if you yelled at me, I would listen to more what you said than the actual tone. You know, there's a lot of um, shouting from the sideline that's just kind of trying to get a player to get more motivated. Well, that didn't really ever work for me personally, and so I would get so annoyed of this, you know, someone saying essentially work harder. I'm like, yeah, I am working pretty hard. Like, how about you give me any more insight? You know, I, I want more detail. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think if people are so, you know, negative with, with Izzo. I mean, for, like you're kind of hit on, we, we there's so much backstory we don't know. It's just such a small clip, which I hate overanalyzing stuff like that. Um, but I, I, that's kind of my guess as far as the real Nate, because it, I don't know, it seemed like some of them were players and some of them weren't that were, slashing Izzo so I I don't know if it's a total sport thing or not but it, it seemed like it that transcended a little bit more there as far as the the background for the people being negative towards him um yeah but I, I guess people are probably I, I guess I could probably do a better job of research in this but it feels like people are you know taking their past negative experiences and then putting it on Izzo of like oh I remember this guy that yelled at me and he's doing the same but like you know to your point there's so much we don't know exactly exactly and you know, I've coached with some some great coaches that have different ways to go about things. And great coaches in Brendan Knights and John Trask and Sean Phillips and Alexi Amino, who you know I coach with now with Sean Phillips over there. And um, I just they've they've all had their own leadership styles. They've all had moments, usually behind closed doors, or not in a in an arena, you know, like 
sure. Izzo is. Um, and, you know, and that's, you know, not even including the, the high school coaches that have had Alex Mahalovich, whose son George is now in the national team pool, and Gerardo Pignani, who helped me, you know, get on to the, to the in, really into coaching uh, with him. Um, and, you know, and, and then you could go on coaching with Larry in the academy and uh, Steve Morris and Gonzalo and Charlie and Graham here. And, you know, they all have different different styles, you know, um, and it's just, uh, it's, it's unique and there should be more, I believe, you know, uh, certainly right now I'm in a coaching phase of my life. I was in a player phase of my life, but there should be just a, a, a bit more for, and, and for most people there is, that's the problem. Most people, there is a big coach player relationship trust factor yeah. in a good way. There's a huge trust factor. And it's the, it's the ones that don't, for some reason, you know, that maybe they need to find a different solution. Um, um, maybe the coach also needs to have a little bit more insight into what they can do. But at the end of the day, they shouldn't change their coaching style because of a player, um, because it, it, it does work for the masses, you know, and so it, when I say masses, a team of, of right. in basketball, 13, 14, 15 people, um, you know, it's working pretty well for, you know, we'll stay on the Izzo topic. It's working pretty well for John Izzo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, do you, do you have a do you have a story or an example of a time where you you did maybe not to the the exact same parallel there, but you know, something to that level where you you got in a player's face as a coach, um, and the intent was yeah. well intended. Yeah, what do you what do you got? Yeah, 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 I do. I, and, and it was it was you know not I didn't want it to happen. I felt it needed to happen again because there was a a bit of a buildup. You know, not everybody has the answers at 14, even through 22, 23. And you're not necessarily do you have all the answers when you're, you know, 23 and older, but, you know, you're, you're still forming so many things um, and learning so many things and, you know, what's all going to come together and what's not going to come together, et cetera. And, you know, you want to set certain standards and, and different things and make sure that people are understanding the standards you want to set. And so, Mine was with Matt Pizdrowski, who uh, was a pro, just recently stepped away from the game in Sweden. Oh, I didn't know he, I didn't know he was done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, and, and that's what I took from the interview that I read this, that I listened to and watched, I should say, um, this week. Uh, he, does, he does great work for The Athletic. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he he's, he's, provides very good insight into Premier League and other goalkeepers, you know, stateside and others. Um, but... You know, this whole playing out of the back thing, whether it's, you know, trendy or not or whatever, we, he, he struggled at, in, a, in a moment. But he, he struggled in a, a sequence of moments leading up to the goal against situation that he conceded a goal. How, how old um, is, uh, is Pistrowski here, just to give us a At that window, I would imagine he was either 19 or 20. Okay. So pretty, yeah, pretty similar age with Izzo, I guess, with his player. Yeah, okay. yeah. So for me, and, and Jim Barca, I can attest to this as well, is I very rarely will have a go at a player. This is my, for me, my belief, certainly goalkeeper-related. I'll very rarely have a go in the 45-minute window they're playing. There's just, there's, there's too many reasons not to, okay? You know, I, I've seen the coach that the goalkeeper makes a save, touches it over for a corner, they feel differently or whatever, and they get up and they start yelling at the goalkeeper.
of the salt. Right, yeah, they get yeah. more coming out. <laughs> yeah. And not to listen over as a touchline while a ball's flying into the box. So if I have words, I'll provide a little bit of a, of a whistle, you know, like that, and <laughs> the ball's at the other end of the field, and they'll look over and I'll say something so not everybody hears me. And it could be tactical, or it could be, you know, making a point. Um, but I'll wait I mean, until the ball's at maybe a corner at the other end, right, or a throw right, at right. the other end, or an injury. That's when I'll do something. And so in this case, Piz had given up a bad goal. We were building a program uh, that was, uh, you know, struggling to get results. We were getting better every year, but struggling to get results. And he gave up a bad goal, and I just didn't think that the the gravity of the situations sat in with him. I thought the choice was bad. And so I love the kid. I've I loved the kid since the day I saw him. Oh, when you, sorry, when you, when you mentioned that, uh, it was like the gravity wasn't sitting. Are you talking about kind of his body language? Cause you're on the sideline, right? You're looking at him. So yeah, yeah. He wasn't laughing or anything, Sure, but it was just like, it was kind of like, Oh, oh that's, okay. a, that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it just, he certainly didn't give that aspect that he didn't care. Right. But it just, I didn't see enough mourning over the mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know, we give up a goal, that can change a game. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, you know, just giving up a layup. And um, so, and it was avoidable. You know, I think it was clearly avoidable. And a, a, a goalkeeper of his quality, I thought it was avoidable. So I waited. And, I, you know, that happened in, let's say, the 20, 25th minute. I waited until halftime to have a go at him in front of everybody because I wanted to see the team see that he was being held to an even higher standard. Now, you know, you can as a coach decide, all right, we're going to go talk behind the bench. We're going to go and talk, you know, somewhere else down at the corner while the rest of the team is talking sure. or whatever. I felt it was important in that moment for the team to know that that is unacceptable as what happened. And that it's not just okay for a goalkeeper to make these types of mistakes. Everybody should understand that everyone is accountable. And so I made sure that it wasn't brutal. It wasn't in front of the fans. But it was there in front of the team and talked about it immediately. Asked the question first. I didn't you know, hear what I wanted to hear. And so I let him know how disappointed I was. We have a phenomenal relationship still today, nine years later. I've helped him with the professional game. Um, he's done extremely well, obviously, on his own. Um, we see each other every time he comes back, virtually every time he comes back stateside. Our relationship is golden. Uh, there's a very good chance he might be a camp shutout this summer. Hey. And he was there as a camper. <laughs> yeah. But in that moment, I felt, through my experience, that's what he needed to hear. Yeah. And there was never any problem with it whatsoever, ever. Yeah. I I had similar but a little different situation where I had a, a keeper give up a bad goal and it was clearly their fault <laughs> and uh, it was a one zero game we we're losing that made it two zero late pretty much sunk the game for us uh, we deserved to lose but you still don't want to do it right and so our our team did one of those and I hate seeing it but they they saw the goal get con conceded I think it was just I can't remember the play exactly but it was like kind of a long shot something she should have saved and she just missed it. And the whole team does the classic, like, they're looking at the goalkeeper. They turn their back to the goalkeeper, and they kind of roll their eyes. That kind of sort of motion of, like, oh, I can't believe they did that. Um, yeah. And so I, after the game, 
you know, di- different situation. But after the game, I kind of got on the team of like, hey, like, what? How do you like? You're just gonna throw your teammate under the bus like that? Like that? That's the level of camaraderie we're at here. That like, if they if they mess up, oh, you know, screw them. Like they're, you know, that's and, just, and so my fear with with not saying something was that hey, the next time this happens, like we need to be able to rally behind us a little bit more. Like in this game, it didn't really matter. We were gonna lose, and you know, they team the other team was better. So okay, but like we can't let this happen again. So for you in that situation, what what was the fear? or the concern of you not speaking up and just kind of letting, you know, just brushing it off essentially. Yeah. That it could just, that it could just happen again. And, and if it's, if it's not held accountable, you know, I think we're all human beings that um, coaches should be held accountable. Players should be held accountable. Administrators, administrators should be held accountable. Owners should be held accountable. You know, there should be checks and balances to, to help us further, further the game, if you will. You know, in our case, it's obviously soccer. I felt if it wasn't addressed that, you know, maybe this happens again and we weren't good enough at that time to concede goals that way, yeah. you know, and still be able to recover and win games. And, you know, we wanted, there's a, there's at least a, a gauge of, you know, for when you're in sport at the end of, in our case, 90 minutes, there's a result. When, when there's a draw, basketball, there's a win and a loss. Football is a win, losing a draw. American football, um, you know, baseball, you, you go till there's a winner. Right. Uh, you know, that's that's what sport is. It's not about being equal. I, I just, I, you know, I don't think it's old school. <laughs> I think we coaches, you get what you allow, and I wasn't ready to allow that type from him again, and so I, I made it clear that that was unacceptable. Yeah. And there was no problem with that, and. You know, for sometimes when goalkeepers train away from the team, and in some cases even in Major League Soccer, I know there's some teams that have situations where the goalkeepers train away virtually the entire time. And then during the game, if you're, you know, you don't hear Sarkey getting up and having a go at Usted, uh, or, you know, pick anyone else in the in the league, Bartuji, having a go at, at Sean Johnson or, whatever it may be, you, just, you don't hear that or see that much. So, you know, for me, you know, sometimes the field players may not even see that the goalkeepers are held accountable at some level. And so I thought, you know what, this is important. And I thought for, for Pizdrowski, he won a total of 10 games in his entire college career. And here he is 30 years old, just finishing as a pro. I don't know. That's, um, that's a pretty damn good stretch for a young man. And it wasn't because of that one moment. It was because of yeah. him. Yeah. But it mattered. That moment mattered. Yeah. I, uh, next time I, I, if I see him this summer, I'm going to ask about that moment. Just <laughs> try to yeah. get his side from the story. Cause I, I'm always curious about hearing it from both sides, but uh, at the night, both that night, both of us standing up right near our benches. This is, uh, right near our bench. You should say, yeah. um, it was, yeah, it was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's move over to MLS here. Um, and I, I think the season as a whole has been a, a pretty positive start for goalkeepers. Um, but the one thing that stood out for me uh, was is Spencer Ritchie in Cincinnati. So he doesn't get the original start, um, and he's since then he started the last two games. the The Polish goalkeeper they brought in has gone out with an injury. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that, he's gone out with an injury. I'm not sure what his timeline is, but. Right now, Richie is sitting on two shutouts in two in two games. Um, one thing, one thing I really I got a good laugh at was after the first shutout, 
he went and got a car wash because there was like a a deal yep. that was <laughs> it was the car wash said it like i guess if you know cincinnati gets a shutout they'll do half off or something and so he yeah. you know prompted the shutout on <laughs> so i really liked reading about that story um but yeah so i he's um he's performing really well um and my goal saved above replacement he's sitting fifth right now which is really great um yeah. he everyone's a little high right now they'll, they'll kind of even off at the end of the season but that's he's at 0.4 goal saved a game which is twice as high as the the finisher from last season so um he's doing really well but now the question is how does he maintain that that starting spot what does he have to do to make sure he's not relegated back to the bench yeah yeah well hopefully he isn't uh he also checked his uh his contract jokingly or otherwise if there was a uh a shutout benefit or team no. relief benefit, I think <laughs> yeah. is what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, that type of thing. I, I think the kid's got great perspective. I, I know nothing about him um, except I enjoy watching him. Yeah. I, I enjoy the the size of that goalkeeper. I enjoy any size goalkeeper, but they have a chip on their shoulder because they've been told no for so long. And in this case, he also kind of goes with our previous podcast about, you know, having a foreign goalkeeper come in. Yeah. You got Spencer Ritchie. Um, and the fact that he's very good, he's been recognized for a long time. He's in various pools, and Spencer Ritchie has been recognized as a quite a good goalkeeper. And um, you know, not everybody's cup of tea, but when you watch him play, all he does is make this save and he makes that save, and he's in the right place, and you know these type of things. He's a goalkeeper, and um, you know I, I'm not I'm not a proponent, fan, advocate because he's five whatever or low six whatever i'm a fan because the guy gets results yeah. and i think he has proper perspective he's a product of the american system he's he's done well he's been told no so many times and you know I, the reality is again we we lose sight of this it's not they didn't win because of richie you know they didn't win these games because if someone has to score goals you save and support the game as sarky is his talking and i agree um, but what he has done is he's saved and support the games, and they've gotten results. And, you know, sometimes you can lose a game as a goalkeeper for sure. You know, you've got to holler in and right through the hands, whatever. And, you know, Carrius is a, is a prime example of having a really rough outing. But he isn't, and they're getting results. And so why do you change? What he needs to do is just stay, in, in my opinion, and I don't know Spencer, so he could take this for whatever it's worth, but... <laughs> At the end of the day, stay the course of what has gotten him there. Stay the course of what's gotten him through these last couple of games. Stay the course. Don't try to be, you know, different for somebody. Um, right now, he's a better goalkeeper than their other option. Yeah. Whether that other option's Polish or he's from Cincinnati, it, you know, it doesn't matter. He's he's the better option right now. The team's responding. He's getting results. And at the, certainly at the professional level, that matters. Yeah. That matters. There are teams in Major League Soccer that would love to have positive results that aren't getting them. And they are with him, and he stays in. You know, it's pretty clean cut for me. Yeah. Pretty clear. Yeah, no, I, I you know, it's funny because going into the season, I don't think, outside of Spencer's, like, friends and family, I don't think anyone would be a, as high on them as they are now. You know, they've seen him in just two games. 
And this happened last year with uh, Matt Turner out in New England. He comes in, plays really well early. And it, then everyone jumps to the occasion and say, yeah, this guy's good. But then just two games ago, everyone's like, oh, I don't I don't know. And, you know, same for me, you know, right? Yeah, he, he comes in. He, he did well in his – he finished up in the USL season, did very well there. Um, got a little bit of opportunity with this, the star getting injured. And I'm not sure how that all played out as far as, you know, the moving pieces. But did very well, finished very well. Um, I was really confused why they brought in the – I'm going to mispronounce his name, but uh, Titan, the Polish goalkeeper they brought in. Yep. Um, I was confused about that. But it's just kind of funny now that, like, oh, yeah, like, let's let's ride this momentum. But two games ago, you know, no one, no one is this supportive of him. So it's, it's all very, uh, it feels kind of all flippant, you know. His his ability hasn't changed. He's he's been this good for a while now, right? So it's just, yeah. but you know, he gets the chance and he 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 runs with it. And that's not going to be every goalkeeper, but um, I don't know. It's just all kind of funny to me that like people are this supportive now, but it's only after two games, you know. And um, he's still the same goalkeeper. And he, the a few minutes he got with Vancouver, he did well. You know, he's done well in Cincinnati. So I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just kind of all over the place for me. And um, I've always liked him, even when he's back at Washington. I really enjoyed watching him there. Um, well, he's so. the he's the underdog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the overlooked. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's that guy, and people are drawn to that. And um, you know, he's he's not coming in as a two-time, three-time, four-time, one-time All-American. Um, you know, he's maybe second team, third team, and somewhere along those lines, perhaps. But, you know, he's not coming in with this unbelievable, yes, he was recognized as a good goalkeeper, and he is damn good. But he's he's not uh, he's not that guy coming in where he's pegged as the man. Yeah. And um, he's had to fight for this. And then he's getting results, and it seems like he's keeping his perspective proper. Um, which is fantastic. And I, I think people are just simply drawn to that. You know, I, I, I set first row, second row, second row technically at the Bucks game last night <laughs> and just watching the interactions of players, you know, and, and I've had that cup of coffee at, at that level and seeing the, the, um, how tense it is just before tip off. Yeah. You know, this type of stuff and seeing some guys on the team that you'd never expect are earning NBA money, but they're out there performing. Yeah. And that's what Spencer Ritchie's doing. You know, he's stayed the course. He's stayed the course. He's been valuable to the team, valuable, valuable. And he's gotten the call, and these games have produced results. And good for him. Good for him. Yeah. And it, it's not a situation where, you know, someone else is coming over um, and, and taking the spot based on perhaps even – similar success but maybe because they're a foreign goalkeeper maybe because oh we spent more money on him we got to play him you know things like this the guy's getting results yeah. good for him yeah well and uh I'm trying, i was trying to look up while you were talking here the name of the goalkeeper coach at cincinnati um is it jack something what is his name jack stern jack stern yeah very good very good i i remember in an interview with him as they were leaving the usl over the you know the off season and yep. I was really, I was pretty impressed with how much praise he gave to the third goalkeeper, Mark Village, who I don't think played a single minute all last year. Yeah. And he was talking about how important Village was to the um, the kind of the group dynamic and how you know Village came in every day, worked really hard, and that pushed uh, Newton 
Evan Newton, who's with Indy now, Evan Newton yeah. and Spencer Ritchie. Um, and so I get the, I get the feeling he's kind of a player coach. I'm still kind of confused why they brought in that foreign goalkeeper. Cause he also <laughs> was pretty outspoken about he was involved with that. And so I, I'm a, I'm getting, I don't know, mixing those right word, but I'm getting a little confused here as far as, um, how much backing he has behind Spencer. But I, I think at the end of the day, like I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine since he just dropping him after one mistake. So I, I, he seems to have a little momentum here. I think they want him to succeed and they're not just looking yeah. to, to give, you know, cause sometimes you see that where a young goalkeeper comes in hot, they make one mistake and they're like, all right, you're out. You know, yeah, Hor- Horvath, I think kind of ran into that with Bruges. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how this all play out with him. I, you know, I hope he, he, hope he finishes the season. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot in front of him here, so we'll see. There's a lot of, you know, when you get the number one shirt, Titans in this case, the, the goalkeeper, the original goalkeeper for Cincinnati, you get that, you earn that to start the year. There's just so much street cred that goes with that, right or wrong. Yeah. You know, but there's so much street cred that goes with that, that, you know, he was their number one. He goes out with an injury, okay? And the other guy comes in and gets results and results and results and results. You know, Titan, let's say if he had 10 games and had a mixed bag of results, maybe, you know, he's five, two, and three, who knows, and he goes down, and Richie comes in with the same results or maybe an extra win. Does he get the, the Titan get the job back? You know, because he was the number one, probably, and, you know, that then goes to preseason. That goes into credibility from previous seasons. Yeah, yeah. There's really special getting that number one shirt, yeah. and you know I struggle with it. Does, does that matter to, to stay as the you know to have that in the college time? I thought four goalkeepers and all four of them better be fighting the backside off, and you know no one really knows yeah who may be a number one, but you don't really know if you're the number two, three, or four. You just keep fighting. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I. Uh, it... I'm really, I'm really curious to see Richie's resume at the, after all this is over, you know, to look back on his career. Cause it's just one of those things where it's just kind of a, you know, I, Andrew Dykstra just retired this last week and I think you can go back and look at his career and see, Oh, he was getting some momentum here. You know, I remember him winning USL goalkeeper of the year. He, he got some good starts with DC and Chicago, but then also, you know, he, injuries and, and poor performances kind of bumped him down. So it's, Kind of those things like, is this just going to be a, a blimp in his career, or is this going to be kind of a starting point where, oh yeah, he took over after this? Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, let's move on to our last bit here. We've got uh, we have this long-awaited <laughs> top ten list. So, <laughs> I for for listeners here, I've had my list for I don't know a month or so, maybe not quite that long. I've had it for a bit, um, and I've been giving Stan a little little bit of pressure as far as it was his idea. To, for I have it. I have. You're yep. right. It was. I have my list now. Yeah. But yeah. We're gonna go through yours first, can we? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we're, what we're doing here is the top ten uh, college goalkeepers. Now, so for me, I don't know if Stan did this. For me, I drew a line at 1960, um, or not 1970. Sorry, 1970. So for the reasoning behind that was one. I think the games changed so much. I I don't really like comparing modern players to past players that much, just because it's just so tough to do. You know, I I'm all my input on a player that you know, played before I was well well before I was born you know it's just from what people have, have written there's not a lot of video left so I I felt like that was just a fair so I, I didn't think it, I could do it confidently of something before 1970 so there was that and then as far as building out the list um you know that was tough too as far as you know what to wait um I, I kind of did a combination of just overall ability of what I thought they were 
um, accomplishments, both with the team, individual, and then kind of a little bit on the pro career, but you know, that's not, that's not, you know, that's not quite what we're doing here. So, um, my, so here's my 10. Um, I think we probably have a similar. going in reverse order or, or one to 10? I'll, I'll go, I'll go reverse here. So 10, 10 to one here. Uh, I've got Will, Will Hesmer at 10, uh, Wake Forest, 2000, 2003. Um, I, it was actually, I have a soft spot, not quite the word, but I have a soft spot for Will Hesmer because he was one of my first interviews that I ever did. Uh, and I didn't deserve it. <laughs> I didn't do a great job with him. A little embarrassed looking back at how it went under. But he, I mean, it was a long interview. I talked to him for about an hour and a half. And uh, okay. and so I, I've all always American liked him. 2003. Yeah, all, and you know he thankfully is actually a very good goalkeeper, so I don't have to <laughs> give him too much of a boost. He, he did it all on his own. So 2003, um, they struggled in the tournament, um, and but you know always going into it, you know that they were very highly ranked, and they ended up setting the platform for the next class. Brian Edwards was actually a, a national champ one or two times, I think, um, and that was he was the goalkeeper after Hesmer. So t- Hesmer's ten. Um, I went with a little bit of a throwback for nine. Peter Arn Arnt Arntoff, okay. uh, San Francisco, nineteen seventy five, seventy eight, three time national champion, but at least one of those was um, revoked because they had a player uh, GPA kind of scandal. Um, I'm going to give it to him anyways. So three time national champ, nineteen eighty Olympics backup, um, was in a time when the NSL was kind of collapsing essentially when he comes out of college. So. He unfortunately doesn't really have the pro career to back it up, but um, I mean, he sure did a lot in college. Eight is TJ. Played Han- a tough time, tough yeah. period of time when Radovich played as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, the you know the seventies, you know, it kind of also like why I drew that line there on, on nineteen seventy. That's when the NESL is starting up. But before that, what is the what is the landscape for U.S. soccer? You know, it's right not a whole lot. So yeah, no, absolutely. So eight, I got TJ Hannig, Indiana. Um, Kind of bounced around MLS a little bit, but did a two-time national champ there. Uh, seven is Pat Wall for Notre Dame. I think he okay. really flew under the, the radar. I loved watching him. And sometimes yeah. I think, you know, did I overrate this guy? <laughs> but I... Small uh, goalkeeper coached against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he, he opted out for a job with NASA over <laughs> over a pro career, which, you know, good to him. He's probably doing great now. But sometimes I'll think, you know, did I ever just kind of go back and watch this highlight film? Thankfully, that actually survived. And it's great. I love watching him play. Um, so seven, uh, there's seven, Pat Wall. Uh, six is Jurgen Sommer. So we start getting into more of the familiar names here, probably. Six, Jurgen Sommer. Um, somehow he won the 1990 Goalkeeper of the Year Award without getting an All-American. And I was looking back at that. I was like, he, he was named the best goalkeeper with Indiana in 1990. Was an All American somehow. I don't. I probably someone got upset about that. Because there was a certain guy that I'll remain nameless <laughs> that was also yeah. there. Yeah. Now a little funny story, if I can interject yeah, go ahead, top, yeah. into, into the top five here real quick. But Jurgen Sumner was down at the. Um, it was basically a, a, a collegiate championship series. I, I was named the Senior Bowl, and then there was this this like college national champions where. Division one, two, three. I think Mexico, Canada, uh, NAIA. It was like six teams that were yeah. on there, and they were all invited. And, um, Indiana was there, and, and uh, we're talking 1990, so we're talking about 29 years ago. <laughs> he was wearing a short sleeve shirt, and this was down in um, uh, New Mexico, Las Cruces, New Mexico. And so he's wearing a short sleeve shirt, and that was not the trend by any means. And <laughs> so I was like, "Damn, dude." <laughs> and I didn't say anything to him then, uh, but I was down 
playing in the senior bowl, not in the collegiate world championship, I think is what it was. And uh, I came back and I'm teaching at uh, Moshnik's camp in the summer of either 90 or, or 91. I think it was 90, 90 then after the senior bowl. And um, Brad Friedel was there and Friedel was teaching uh, as obviously was I. And we were talking about that. And uh, Brad looked at me like I had uh, three eyes when I, when I said, yeah, I was wearing a short sleeve shirt and, uh, I was young and dumb. Talk about learning things. You know, <laughs> I was young and dumb. I, I knew your consumption was very good, um, but uh, it made me realize that there's a, there's, there's plenty of ways to, to look, play, dress, everything else. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, that's, uh, I didn't know that. That's a really great story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, well, and then also, um, when you were talking about, you know, just U.S. national goalkeepers here. One thing I didn't realize is Marcus Hahnemann. I don't. I don't have him on, on my list because I guess he didn't quite reach the criteria. He may be on yours, but he wasn't D one. But he was a three time All American. I didn't put him on my list, but I mean, obviously his career was great, so he probably doesn't care that he's on my list or not. But um, yeah, no, I was looking back. I was like, man, Marcus Hahnemann. They they missed that one. Um, but yeah. So last five here we got Aiden Brown. When I'll kind of run over these names a little bit because he's probably more familiar. Aiden Brown. Okay. Two-time All-American, and that, he kind of gets a little bit of a boost because he wasn't at a, a massive program like some of these guys are. Um, yeah. Injuries really derailed his career. Uh, four is Jeff Causey. Uh, he's basically the goalkeeper after Miola. And that one was tough because it's like, and the same with Brian Edwards, of how do you really rate someone after they come after such a good program? You know, because on one hand, their program is good because it's built off, you know, the you know, the whole standing on the shoulders of giants thing, you know, they, he's kind of sure. got a little bit of easier time, but then also if he wasn't very good, he wouldn't have been brought in, you know? So like they're at the point where they're getting the best of the best. So, you know, three-time yeah. national champ and, um, we used an MLS for until Oh three, you know, he, he graduated a little bit before it even started. So, um, yeah. and then the final three in order, the three is Miola, two is Keller, then one's Friedel, um, okay. which everyone's pretty familiar with. So, there's my 10. I'll put this on my on my site here so you know, kind of ran through it so everyone can kind of see my list in comparison to stands as well. Um, but let's hear what you got. What, where, uh, will it go, go 10 to 1 for me? Let's hear it. You got it. And who, who was your number eight again? TJ? Uh, Hannig, uh, Indiana, 1999 or 1997 through 2000, two time national champ. Um, okay. was it was an MLS a little bit, but I don't think he really had much of a career. Okay, got it. All right, so here's the long way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> Need a drum stand roll by here. it. Um, it's not done on emotion. A lot of it's done on results. I uh, looked at a few things. Some of the criteria were my eyes. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think you got to do that at least a little bit. You know, otherwise it's just you're just reading out someone else's list essentially. So that's fair. That's exactly. Fair. Um, their accolades. You know, were they recognized? Uh, some of it was post college playing career did it come into play you know were they not a one-hit wonder if yeah. you will um so there were there were a few a few things but i did take into account all right were they in college one two three or four years you know how did that go so people who are not on my list brad guzan yeah hartman stephan these are for because of, of short times in college Short times in college, and, and perhaps you know how they did also in college. They did well, but others maybe did better in sure. college. Okay. You know, Robles, Cannon, Hahnemann, 
did not make my top ten list. And there's one that didn't as well, and he played in the 79-80 window, and that's Phillips, who was a two-time All-American. Fantastic. I believe it was at uh, SMU. Yeah, Randy Phillips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, great program. Two-time All-American before the uh, before Major League Soccer, our at least more stable professional league. You know, it was around the time of the NASL, but so he was the 11. I would give him 11. And so if we go in reverse now, okay, 10, Gilbert, right? Again, two-time All-American. Played at Vermont, right? Yeah, you're going, you're just, going way back. When, he was in the 70s, right? Well, he was actually Gilbert in the, in, in the 80s, in the early 80s. Oh, okay, and yep. If you look in the window of time from 74 to 82, there were only four goalkeepers that were like studs. Yeah. Now yeah. you figure 200 some programs each year, everybody having a chance, if you will, that's two, four, six, eight, a thousand, two, four, 1,800 goalkeepers. And there were only four that were majorly recognized. Yeah. Gilbert was one of them in the 81 82 window. And again, some of these guys are lost generation guys. You know, they're, they're just not yeah. able to be. Well, playing he, at the, I think he graduates yeah. the year NASL folds. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. He's really close. Exactly. You know, so all of a sudden, you know, do you go overseas when yeah. people weren't welcoming us overseas, right. really? You know. Then I get into nine, Jeff Duback. All right. Two-time All-American. And his was a year apart as well. So 84 and 86. So 85, he was not. All right. And quite the goalkeeper. I remember watching mm. him because he was in my window yeah. of time in college. Now, out of a out of a, of a place that you will, Yale, where so you you kidding me? You <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. Um you know, Yale having that level of a of a goalkeeper. Now there's youngsters there right now, Elian Haddock and, and and others, you know, I think they may be on the rise with Kylie Standard, but Jeff Duback number nine. All right. Number eight, a local to where I'm at right now, anyway, <laughs> Manos. All right. He was 74, 75 out of what school? NIU. Two time All American at Northern Illinois University. And where is he? He's out on the West Coast in Washington. Okay. He's at like the Brooks Trailhead store. I tried calling him this morning. Yeah. Uh, to, talk, to talk with him. I just wanted to. to about you know his his career if you will sure. and uh wasn't able to reach him but um i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to him <laughs> good, good. just uh let him let him know he made the elite the only exactly top 10 list. yeah exactly yeah. the the stan anderson top 10 and i'm yeah. gonna put i'm gonna put this on uh instagram as well but you have first run at all that <laughs> okay um, thank, because you, you, thank you. you you've done a good job pushing me to it yeah <laughs> so number seven uh and i you know start getting a little bit more clearer now uh, you know, to people that you know, maybe have had more secondary cups of coffee or pro long pro careers, Andre Blake. Yeah. And he's younger, without a doubt. Two-time All-American, though, as well, 12 and 13. Comes out of a fantastic program. Um, MLS goalkeeper of the year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamaican international, you know. So there's a lot to be said, but he also did it at the college level twice. Yeah. And out of a program that is historically talent rich, so good for him. Played against 
Charlie Lyon, one of the goalkeepers that I had, uh, come to me at school in Milwaukee and fantastic. Uh, Charlie had good battles yeah. with him. In fact, I think they might have been co-goalkeepers of the year one year in uh, in the Big East. Oh, okay. So when the Big East was, you know, it was a different league back then. Yeah. <laughs> so we get into a good buddy, John Bush. Yeah, yeah. Three years, Charlotte. One time, he was an All-American, first team All-American. These All these guys are first team All-American. Bush, he was a one-time uh, first team All American. Okay. So all the others I've listed are two. He's one. But you take into account, he had a great career at Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, he busted his, his, his backside, earned everything he got. And to be a first team All American with his stature, not easy. Um, his age, you know, when he went in uh, from college into uh, the next level, you know, not easy by any means as well. Ended up having a, a fantastic career, okay, out of 96. So when I entered college coaching, and we're talking 23 years ago now, um, yeah. 96 was the debut of Major League Soccer, and the guy ended up with a 21-year career and paid his dues, but I'm All-American at the college level, and I saw him play in college, so it was with my own eyes. He was fantastic with his feet, and he was fantastic with everything. His organization was great. He really really opened my eyes in the college game when I went and watched uh, Marquette when they played them, and I was over at EWM in that final year, so good for him. We get into some similarities now. Aiden Brown, all right, number five, okay. two-time All-American. We can both agree he was the fifth best college goalkeeper. <laughs> exactly, look at that. Look at that. Yep, yep. And, uh, and he's coaching, he's working with Charlie right now. Yeah. Charlie's out there. Oh, okay, good. an MLS pool goalkeeper. So oh, I didn't know that. He's good. training with him at T2. And um, so that's fantastic. And uh, they they have mutual respect as well. And I, I have massive respect for Aiden Brown. When I coached against him, uh, 17,000, 18,000 people at Portland, we won the game, Matt Lampson goal. And uh, after the game, I made sure to uh, say hello uh, at the mid-stripe center circle I did with Abe Brown and just told him how awesome he is. Just frank, straight out, dude, you're awesome. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I like the guy. I, I like the guy. Then we get into Brad Friedel at number four. Okay. He's your number one. Yeah, yeah, a little uh, bit of a gap there, yeah. Yeah, he did quite well, two-time All-American. Again, you know, Aiden was two-time All-American. Brad Friedel, two-time All-American goalkeeper of the year in 97. Fantastic career, you know, outside of the U.S. Uh, now he's obviously managing New England. So, so many things everybody knows. But um, I just simply, by by my eyes, view some others better. You got three. Um, you got three over Friedel. Yes, three. Now right. I can't overlook Radovich. Yep. I can't overlook three times. Most goalkeepers will redshirt. All right, so there's one of his five years. Then trying to make an impact as your first year, many don't even get on the field. They're still yeah, behind yeah. him. This dude goes in out of St. Francis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. St. freaking Francis and is a three-time first-team All-American. And I looked him up, and, and it's just unbelievable what the guy has done post-college as well. He's worked for a tennis association. He's worked for, I don't know, other organizations uh, as well. I don't recall them right now. 
Um, he's been the heads of organizations. But at the end of the day, college-wise, three-time first team, yeah. Division One All-American. Is, is right? he the only three-time? I think that. He's the only three-time guy. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. He... Starting in 70, just like uh, yourself. And a bunch of two-time guys, Blake and Brown and Friedel and Zubak and Yola, Phillips yeah, yeah. and Gilbert and Manos, Radovich, three times he's top three. He slotted in a three because I never saw him play. I couldn't give him one or two, even though he could deserve that. Number two, Casey Keller. That's tough for me to say. It's really tough for me to say because he's my favorite goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, to, to to watch play, and I really admired him, um, uh, his play, and, and he does still does a great job. Uh, first team All American out of Portland, a great program at Portland. They've done, you know, there's two guys we're in discussion today, Robles and him, both out of Portland. Yeah, I think it's the, the only school that is. Two-time UCLA, I guess, with the guys I included as well. But Casey Keller, simple, four-continents as a player, goalkeeper of the year in 2011. Uh, speaks for himself, speaks for itself as far as his, his ability as a player. I thought he was our best national team option yeah. um, when he was between him and Friedel, basically. And my number one is Tony Miola. I mean, he's probably the guy that, excuse me, I know he was, at the same window as me as far as college playing. Got a note from him wishing me luck in my professional career, which lasted about uh, the length of a Starbucks line. <laughs> and um, he uh, he obviously lasted much, much longer. But just how he played the game, the confidence in which he played the game, two-time All-American, goalkeeper of the year, um, obviously Virginia, uh, that legacy and legendary program. Um, I, I just I flat out think he was uh, – he was the best college goalkeeper to have played. And you think about the just absolute thousands that enter the game and have played the game, I should say. And, uh, you know, there's about a thousand every year, depending on the program. If there's 205 programs and four at each one, there's you know, somewhere between 800 and you know, maybe 800 to 900 ish, somewhere around there. If you're carrying four and, uh, that's per year since 1970, and he's the best to have ever played, in my opinion. So, Tony Miola, you're the man. Yeah. Well, let me man, let me throw this one. at you. I, I don't know if this changed your rankings. All. Did you know he only played two falls at Virginia? Two years at Virginia, you say? Yeah, because he missed yeah. one of them with the U20s. Yeah. Does that yeah. bump? Does that bump him down your list at all, or? No, it, it leaves him there because I, I knew that and I knew of his window because they were in Milwaukee with the national team, with Bob Gansler. Um, so, you know, I knew his time at Virginia is not as long as some of these others. But I also knew that he went in as a true freshman and he was a first-team All-American. Yeah. And then he's an All-American again. Yeah. And then he leaves. You know, so for me, he made such an impact at the, at the college level. You know, Casey, I didn't know a whole lot at the college level. He wasn't that far away from from the window, you know, I mean, 90. So he's a little younger than, than I am. And maybe it was West Coast. You know, you don't, you don't see. Maybe it was Virginia, the media machine. I, I don't know. But I was really, really, really drawn to Tony Miola. I think, you know, if you, if you look at the 18 months that Guzan spent, the 18 months that Stefan spent, these guys at the at the next level, um, Guzan obviously at uh, South Carolina and Stephen at Maryland. 
you know, for me, I thought Miola in that, in that time, two times, he was first team All-American, Stefan Nunn, Gazan Nunn. Yeah. And so it, it, it's a fair point, but I don't think it changes my view on Tony Miola whatsoever. He's, I think we're, with, with us, Miola, Keller, and Friedel, and he's in my, my top four and your top three. Yeah. Yeah, those are. So, <laughs> we did. That window was great yeah. for U.S. soccer. Well, you think also, I mean, honestly, Tony Mueller might be the biggest ambassador for college soccer ever. I mean, because what do you always hear about the 1990 World Cup? That Mueller was still, or it was, you know, I'm missing the timeline now. He was either just out of college or was still in college. You know, that's, you know, that's what everyone points back to with the 90 World Cup team is that, oh, yeah, it was a very young team led by this University of Virginia Gold goalkeeper Tony Miola like no one says that about any other goalkeeper it's always that's always a tag for Miola so I right. that's that's fair to put him on number one I understand that yeah yeah it, it breaks my heart because I, I I have to apologize to my Casey Keller yeah. Casey Keller bobblehead <laughs> when I go in the office yeah, tonight yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> because uh I uh and, and Casey maybe when I do send this uh you can reply to my tweet after Bill Reno does it but um I tell you what, I just uh, I, uh, I have high regards for, for all of them, and obviously they've done extremely well. Sure. Um, and there's people on our list on my list that are not on your list, and vice versa. Um, and I think it's great. I saw TJ TJ Wall Pat Wall play, and uh, very very good goalkeeper again, an undersized goalkeeper. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, chip on his shoulder and did very very well. Uh, and I, did he? Did they win the national championship in his time? So yeah, they they won it in. I rush my list here. They won it in thirteen. In two thousand twelve, they were runner up. In two thousand fourteen, they were the one, the number one seed. Um, okay. Very good program while he was there. I remember I so I interviewed him twice, and once was like as he's getting out of college, you know, right right around that time before the draft, and that was a pretty exciting moment. And then the yeah. second time was when he kind of realized, hey, I'm not going to do this. And this was maybe not even six months later. And I don't think he had been, he didn't get drafted. He had it was something weird with like his his paperwork that he wasn't even allowed to be drafted. He was a homegrown option for Houston, just somehow didn't work out. And so right. he bounces around USL leagues, and um, I think it was Sacramento. He wouldn't tell me which <laughs> which one it was, but he he said he went to all these you know trials and stuff, and he went to Sacramento, and they offered him like eight thousand dollars or something ridiculous and he, he yeah. said he just took a second to think i can either make eight thousand dollars with sacramento or i can go work for nasa and that was pretty much it <laughs> That's, I, you know.